and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today's podcast features Gordon Corman. Gordon's work centers around writing books that kids want to read for middle grade readers. Gordon shares where he gets his inspiration, his podcasts, and how he writes meaningful books that are interesting for kids. Welcome to CCIRA Literacy Conversations. We're so excited to have Gordon Corman with us. He is an author, and he will also be a luncheon speaker for our CCIRA 2022 conference. Welcome, Gordon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And I am so, so psyched to be coming back to CCIRA, one of the the best state conferences uh, out there. I've been to a few before this. I cannot wait to get back. You are one of our favorites. We do enjoy having you. And I, I have seen you present and it's just it's informative, but also entertaining. And I like to be entertained while being informed, too. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I love to get the chance to meet my readers and teachers and librarians are always a special audience for me just because, uh, you know, I don't really write the kind of books that that, I don't know, in, inspire kids to put on their wizard suits and go to the, the midnight launch parties and stuff like that. Like, I sort of feel like I've been blessed in that I have a lot of fans, but those fans need help. You, you know, they're, they're sort of slacker fans, right? Like they they love books when those books are sort of handed to them, but they don't necessarily pursue them on their own. So to me, uh, teachers and librarians are the delivery system. They they get my books into kids' hands, and that means everything. I love that. Teachers and librarians are the deliverers. I love that. So I put it out there to some peers of mine that we were getting to interview you. And I have a coworker who has a sixth grade son. And so she, uh, she was so excited and she sent me some questions for you. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um, And one of hers was just that as an adult, she wants to know how you connect so well with kids. She's, she said, how are you able to write from that 11 to 13 year old state of mind? So that was one of her questions. You know, you know, I've always sort of felt like I had an interesting perspective on this one, just because uh, I started writing really, really young. I, my, my first book was my seventh grade English project. It came out when I was a freshman in high school. And so for the whole first part of my career, everyone would always sort of say, oh, well, you obviously relate to kids because you're so close in age to your audience, uh, which was true. And so I sort of assumed it was it was right, you know, because it made a lot of sense. Um, but I actually think that there are just some of us who, who do that. You know, uh, my mom is in her eighties now. Um, and she is just one of those people who thinks like a kid. Uh, I, I think she does it better than I do. Uh, if I am writing a book and I need a natural kid's perspective, she is my absolute go-to to get that perspective. But what, what I love is her, her birthday is in July, uh, late July. And every year, um, 
she can't stand it when her birthday comes around because then she knows that right after that, the back to school specials will start being advertised on TV. And before you know it, school will be rolling around. And I'm like, mom, no one's making you go to school, right? You haven't gone to school since the 1950s. You know, what, what do you care? Uh, and I think it's just because she is still the kid that, that she, she used to be. And I hope, and I hope that I am too. So, um, you know, I have my own kids now. Uh, in, in fact, my own kids are, are older than, than most of the characters that I write about. My, my kids are 22, 19 and 16. Uh, but I never really saw my characters as, as my own kids. Uh, I always sort of saw them as younger versions of myself. I feel like I can put myself into every character I've written in, in every single book. And I think maybe that's why I can continue even as a 57 year old to relate to the characters that I write about and the kids I write for. So you're just young for life. I hope so. So, <laughs> um, Another question that a friend sent me is, you know, more of a typical question, but just where do you find inspiration for some of these topics that you've picked in these books you've written? I mean, it's uh, it's all over the place, I think. I mean, some of it is is real experience, you know, uh, some of it is just what if thinking, you know, pure imagination. Uh, I'm an only child. So growing up, I sort of had to entertain myself a lot. Right. I was the only kid. Who, who lived in the house. Uh, and, and one of the ways I did that was, was making up stuff. And uh, I made up games, I made up stories. Um, and I really think that in a way it was great preparation for, first of all, the, the seventh grade English assignment that got me started on all this. But also if you really think about my job today, basically I, I make stuff up for a living. So I'm a natural what if thinker, um, you know, some of it comes from from research. Some of it comes from just just, you know, trying, trying new things. You, you know, I had written uh, exclusively humorous books for years and years and years. And I just wanted to try to write sort of some suspense and adventure and that kind of thing. And I started writing uh, my adventure trilogies uh, really just to try something new and turned out that I loved it. Uh, I love doing research for it, which was something that I I never really had to do as a younger writer, just because I was so close in age to the characters and, and readers that I was writing about and for. Um, so it, it's absolutely all over the place where uh, I'll take an idea from uh, from anything. And at this point, uh, Linked is my 98th book. Uh, so I kind of have to I kind of have to to work, to find stuff that is not in some way similar to something from, from way back when. So uh, I, I never turned down a good idea. Wow. I mean, I knew you had written a lot. I, I had obviously I hadn't sat down to count 98. That, you're an impressive gentleman. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> so I, that led me to think of kind of two things. So the first one, you were talking about trying new things. So obviously you were, you were speaking to trying new things as a writer, but what are some new things outside of writing that maybe they lead to inspiration? Maybe they don't. New things that you've tried to do, um, some new adventures you've had in your life. 
Well, I think the adventure that we've all had is staying home, right? We've probably all stayed home more than, than we ever thought that we, we could in the last, you know, well, let's say randomly say year and a half. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think that I've gotten a lot out of uh, little things like, you know, I live on Long Island now outside New York City. And, and uh, it, it's I mean, it's a lot of things. I mean, it's mostly kind of the suburbs. But where I live, there's a lot of uh, a lot of like sailors around. Right. There's a lot of, of places to dock a boat, you know, so you go you go out on a friend's boat and suddenly you're, you're thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. And you sort of open yourself. You sort of see the excitement and the adventure and the fun and the humor in every new experience that um, that you you have, you know, uh, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm super adventurous in terms of trying new things. I mean, you know, I have I'm not a mountain climber. Uh, I, I would not call myself an avid sailor. You know, I'm not a scuba diver, and a lot a lot of the experiences that I've written about have, have not been things that I've tried in any kind of a serious way in, in my own life. But um, but I do feel like uh, opening yourself up to new experiences is a great way to open yourself up to, to new ideas. And then I'm trying to think what, now I've already forgotten my other question as I listened raptly to that. Let's see, we were talking about new ideas. Uh, oh, your research. So on average, and there might not be an average because I know how research looks for me, but how much time do you spend researching to write a book? And maybe a little bit, what does your process look like? Because that might be, you know, even teachers who are teaching writing to their students, you know, they can talk about, well, this is what Gordon Corman does to write his book. So what does your process look like a little bit? How does, how does research work for you? Well, it, it depends on the book, you know, and I would say the, um, the adventure series, right? And um, for example, uh, war stories, you know, which is not a series, but but uh, but it's a book which really has a huge World War II component to it, um, is the kind of book that requires absolutely tons of research. Um, you know, that that doesn't mean you know, that it's an either or that, you know, you sit there and research for three months and then you write the book. You, you know, I think that uh, for me, the, the process is kind of I immerse myself in the topic and I sort of, you know, at first, first of all, there are things you have to figure out. Like sometimes you just you, you, you can do research without really understanding what you're reading. So you have to you have to sort of get to a point where you sort of understand what you're reading, understand what things are, are going to look like. Then because I write for kids. There's also a process where I sort of separate the stuff that I think kids are going to care about, right? Like the, that is, is going to be really meaningful, uh, exciting, scary, fun, funny for kids with the stuff that is equally valid, but, but I don't think is going to, uh, is going to, uh, you know, interest them that much. And then you sort of reach a point and I don't know, I guess it's just, it's kind of a judgment call. But um, but you sort of realize that you're there, right? You just you've sort of internalized it and you sort of know what of the research you're going to use and what of it you're not going to use. And then you can start writing. 
um, which doesn't necessarily mean you're not still researching as you're writing, uh, but but it, it sort of means that you've kind of gotten yourself, you, you sort of educated yourself on your topic to a certain point. Um, I mentioned war stories, but maybe a better example of, of separating uh, the research you're going to use from the research that, that you're not would be um, with my Titanic trilogy, right? I mean, you, when I, I, I'm a Titanic buff, so I, I really love like immersing myself in all this Titanic stuff. And, and believe me, there, there is a ton of it out there. Um, but you could spend a lot of time researching the Titanic and pick up a lot of stuff like, Ooh, John Jacob Astor, one of the richest men in the world, was on the ship. And, and ooh, you know, the first class passengers were called to dinner because somebody blew a bugle, you know, and, and, and all that. You could really focus on the whole class distinction and then the luxuriousness of first class and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I sort of felt like the way I was going to do my trilogy I was going to write it as a sort of a survival, sort of a survival thing, right? So it, when you're looking at it with a survival thing, that doesn't mean they aren't called by a bugle to dinner. It, it means we don't really care about that. We do care about the fact that, you know, that, I don't know, that there weren't enough lifeboats and that, and that you know, people were, people were sort of sucked down, you, you know, when, when the ship first went down and how it was tipped up sort of almost vertically before it went down. Uh, how the ship split in two, like like the specifics of what it would feel like to be on that in that situation, trying to survive in such a, a, a deadly circumstance. So um, to me, that's kind of the most important thing about research. So just if I could say one more thing about about World War Two, um, World War Two. In fact, this did come from my research. The first fact that that popped up in my research of World War Two. I don't think we ever think of it this way. World War II is the largest single event in human history, right? And so it, is, it was so big that everything about it is pretty much the biggest of its kind, right? Um, War Stories focuses on a kid whose great-grandfather was in the D-Day invasion, right? D-Day, turns out, was the largest invasion in human history. It was so big that the ships that brought the... Uh, invaders from England down to Normandy, France, guess what? Largest fleet of ships ever assembled in in human history. And, and you can sort of take it as far as you want, you know, and, and make some guesses. Like, I sort of guessed that the baked beans that the cooks had to bring to feed the D-Day invaders was the largest quantity of baked beans ever assembled in one place in the history of humanity. But I think also that there's the facts that you 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 sort of absorb doing research, but also just I think you sort of reach a point where it kind of larger truths sort of sink down to you, you know. And I think um, I'm a fan of Marvel movies, you know, and, and superhero movies, and X Men, and, and and that kind of thing, and you know. Sometimes as an adult, one of the things that, that kind of makes you roll your eyes, however much you love that those movies, is how every other minute you're hearing about how the entire fate of the world is at stake. The forces of evil are taking over. We have to save the world. Um, 
You know what? World War II, it suddenly hit me, is like the one time relatively recently that all that stuff was true, right? The bad guys literally were this close from taking over the entire world. And the good guys from all around the world had to band together and and fight them off. It really was. The stakes were the stakes of a, a Marvel movie. And that's not something you can specifically research, but you won't get there without doing research. I really like that. And you just gave me like some framing for my entire World War II unit for my- Okay, okay, great, great. Ninth graders. <laughs> I, just, I just recently moved up to high school. So I haven't taught World War II in 11 years. And now, now like I'm like, sweet. I got I got some good lines out of this that I'm gonna pull in. I'm totally talking about baked beans with my kids. And I was thinking about picking some books, and now I'm like, hmm, maybe war stories will be our reader for Mondays when we have some reading time. Sounds great. Great. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So thanks for inspiring this social studies teacher right now. Um yeah, I, I hadn't thought to frame it that way, the biggest single event, but absolutely. Yeah, when I first saw that on, on the internet, I was kind of like, I didn't even know we had a largest single event. But, but then you try to think, of, well, surely something's bigger, you, you know, but not in human history. You know, if you're a dinosaur, the asteroid was pretty important. But uh, for us, I think that was the, the biggest thing. Um. So I'm going to guess at the answer to this question, but thinking about, or maybe I'm going to reframe it. So I was thinking, why did you choose to write for young adults? But, you know, part of it, you said you started that way. So why did you stay writing for young adults other than that you're eternally young and, you know, it's, it's a great question. And I've, I've thought about it a lot. Um, and you know, I, I think you're 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 right that, that when I was in seventh grade, uh, I wasn't trying to launch a publishing career. I was trying to not flunk seventh grade English. And so what I wrote, I didn't write a kid's book. I wrote a book, you know, and I thought it was a good book. And um, and it turned out to be for for a younger middle grade audience. Um, you know, uh, as I got older, I sort of assumed because I did write some books for teenagers early on, uh, sort of, you know, what, what you would call young adult, but more like, because, because I'm not the youngest person in the world, more like the, uh, the, the 80s iteration of young adult rather than sort of the, the more recent wave. So I just sort of assumed, okay, you know, I was this age and I wrote for this audience and I got a little older and I wrote a little older and I was naturally going to, you know, graduate to uh, to adult books, and I never did. Uh, and in the end, I bounced back and forth between middle grade and young adult, and eventually kind of settled myself in. I'm, I'm pretty much all middle grade at, at this point. Um, I just love it. Uh, that which is not to say that I might not love to write an adult book, but I have no plans. Uh, it's it's not an aspiration of mine. It's not a bucket list thing for me. Uh, and I don't think that I, I don't feel 
held back when when I write for uh, for kids. You know, I, I don't think there's anything. I mean, there may be a few specific plot things that I couldn't get into a an adult into a kid's book that I could write for adults. But um, but there is nothing that I want to say that I can't say in my in my writing for middle graders that, that I that I could put into an adult book. I like that. Well, and, you know, so like I said, I just moved up to high school, but I've been a middle school teacher. Those are just my people. I connect with them. So I wonder if you feel that too. Like, are those your people? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I think that there's something really, really special about middle grade, you you know, and and maybe all writers feel like they're, uh, so so I would say in middle grade, I would include like, let's say fourth and fifth grade as well, like upper elementary, middle school. I found since I've been writing a while. So now I have old fans, right? Like it's not, you know, my first book was published in 78. It is not that uncommon for me to run into somebody 50 who was like, dude, I read your book when when I was in fifth grade, you know? Um, So I, I sort of feel like I have these old fans who still like what I wrote for them is, is really, really, important in fact there there is a there are some who are doing a podcast uh, on on my my but not on my newer books mostly on my mostly focusing on my my older books it's called the zucchini warriors uh podcast i have a very very old book called uh, the zucchini warriors um you know and i think that one of the reasons why the books you love in middle grade stick with you for so long into your adulthood is because it's the time of your life when you really become in command of your own opinion. You know, I mean, we all have our, our picture books that we love as, as little, little kids, but a lot of that was mixed up with who read them to, you You know, did your mom do great voices? You know, did, was it the only time you spent with your dad? Cause he traveled a lot. You know, did your teacher, was your teacher a real ham who could really sell a story? Um, but we hit a point fourth or fifth grade where you're reading your own stuff and it's really up to you to decide this. I love this. I don't love that much, you, you know? And I think that, that there is an ownership that comes from that moment that um, that is pretty unique to middle grade. And so we never forget. I mean, I don't forget Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, maybe because I was in fourth grade when Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing came up, uh, first came out, I'm sorry. Uh, I love The Great Brain. Uh, I, I, I can still quote paragraphs from The Great Brain that I remember from when I was, what, 10, 11 years old, you know, uh, the Mad Scientist Club, Henry Reed's Big Show. Like these were the books that 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 I grew up with when I was a middle grader. And that was really when I sort of forged my own opinion. Well, you have a new book out linked and it's actually based in Colorado. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Linked is is um, maybe not what, what a lot of people uh, expect from me. It's a little bit more serious, uh, or at least some of the issues it tackles are are more serious than what I normally do. So linked is the story of a um, a I guess you would say it's it's northwestern Colorado, pretty small town um, where the school is vandalized with swastikas and uh, 
The students are appalled by this and respond with a lot of things, but but in the end uh, decide to um, to make a paper chain six million links in length as a tribute to the six million Jewish victims of the Holocaust. So um, so it's kind of about uh, it, you know it's kind of about racism and anti-Semitism and vandalism, uh, but I think it continues in the vein of what I've been writing up until this point, because it's also a lot about just seeing how interesting it is when different kids and different personalities respond to, to challenging situations. Um, another thing that I think linked is really, uh, really is uh, at its core, in spite of the, uh, the serious issues that it deals with, is is kind of a caper, right? Six million is a lot of links, you, you know? And the first thing it occurred to me was, let's say there are 600 kids in this school. That's 10,000 links per kid, right? There's just no way they're, they're going to do that, you, you know? So I had to work from a realistic standpoint. Uh, how do you get that? How, how are they going to make it? Is this going to be a successful six million link paper chain? And it occurred to me the only way for that to happen would be for them to become sort of virally famous, for their cause to be known all around the world so that that schools and and community centers and organizations all around the world are are making paper chain and and having it shipped to this one middle school in, in Northwest Colorado. So uh, that allowed me to play around with um, the internet and and sort of how certain causes can go viral from both a positive standpoint and a not so positive standpoint. So I felt like it was a great chance for me to sort of take the kind of writing that I've been doing about middle schools, but but sort of push it along in a more uh, serious and interesting direction. Well, and your your other book, Unplugged, is fascinating to me, too, because I think we're in this technology world and I especially worry about these middle school and high school kids who you see walking in their faces and their phone. And so that idea of living off the grid or at least being unplugged for a certain amount of time is pretty interesting. I mean, where did that come from? And are your are your hopes for your kids that they can be able to do that too? My kids are pretty plugged. <laughs> you're, you're right about that. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes I worry that, that one of my kids is, is literally going to be mowed down by a car while walking across the street looking at his or her phone. Um, but the original idea for Unplug was, was actually quite specific. It was my editor uh, at Harper uh, every year goes on a wellness retreat with her, her family. And um, she loves it, right? They go to this wellness center and it's the healthiest place on earth. And it, it's, you, you know, spa treatments and, and, you know, exercise 24 seven and meditation. Uh, but the other thing about it is it is 100% unplugged. No technology, right? No phones, no TVs. If it's got a screen, it is, it is out. Um, and 
as she's telling me this story, you know, and you can tell she loves it. Like she's a hundred percent serious, you know, and, and, and sincere. I'm like, please don't make me go to a place like this. You, you know, I, I, I would, but, but I think that's the kid in me, right? Because I think that it would be really, really hard to be a middle school suddenly sent to the oasis of mind and body wellness for an, an entire summer. Um, so, you know, rather than trying to to sort of send this this message of unplugging and this this detoxing from technology kind of kind of preachy message, uh, really, it was just the, the, the what if kind of popped into my head really naturally. What if a bunch of kids got sent to a, a place like this? How how would they respond? I mean, some would like it, probably not most. So do your own kids read your books? They used to. Uh, they've kind of outgrown me a little bit, um, you know, which is, uh, I guess it was, you know what, because I started writing, like I started writing so long before I had kids and then I had kids and they were too young for my books. And then now I have kids and they're, you know, for the most part, too old for my books. Uh, you sort of realize just what a blink of an eye your the the age of your readership is um but but when they were the right age all of my kids were were fans to some extent which was which was really really cool uh and what was also interesting was that they they didn't all read the same stuff which was um which was fascinating what they would gravitate to because there was a lot of books for them to to choose from like um my oldest son who's now 22 like he caught the absolute first wave of like the 39 clues and the swindle series. Right. So he was really, really into that. Um, my daughter was more into, you know, I guess the more sort of thoughtful character driven stuff, you, you know, like schooled and no more dead dogs and, and ungifted. In fact, ungifted was being written like uh, while while she was sort of into my stuff. So she was you know, always like asking me what I was working on and giving me ideas. Um, I remember also the main character is named Donovan Curtis and she didn't like the name Donovan. So she, or maybe she couldn't remember it. So she said, let's just call him D. You know, I don't want, let's just say he's D. Um, and, um, and then my younger son, you know, what was cool about, about him was that he was the only one of my kids who really went back and, and read the stuff that I wrote when I was a kid, uh, the old McDonald Hall books and, and you know, I want to go home and some of the really early uh, titles that I wrote when I was still in middle school and high school. And it was it was really fascinating to kind of revisit that super old stuff, seeing it through his eyes. Um, so. Thinking about some of your books, you have quite a few novels that have like animals or pets that play a significant role in kind of assisting um, their humans. And so it makes me wonder like, what role do animals have in your life? Are there some animals that inspired that to be something that you wrote about? What led you to that? Um you know, I, I, I mean, I, I could see how people come to that conclusion. It's, it's really not true. I, I never had a dog growing up. 
we are a rat family right now. We have uh, we have two. Actually, rats are kind of awesome as pets. They are um, they are really smart uh, and and strangely clean, you know, and 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 delicate and and precise in what they do and what they don't do. Anyway, I, I don't need to to give you my my long lectures on rat ownership. Um, but I was enjoying your long lecture on rat ownership. <laughs> but ha having gone from Having gone from the guinea pig experience, you know, to the rat experience, I definitely am, am uh, a, a fan of the, the rat experience. But um, but that said, I don't know where the animals kind of come from. I, I mean, I think that to a certain extent, uh, that sort of is probably seems more significant than it is just because for some reason, the animal on the cover thing has become so, so big in my oeuvre these days, you know? And I think that started with Swindle, right? Which, which is really about, it's almost like Ocean's Eleven for kids, right? Kids stealing back this million dollar baseball card they've been swindled out of. Um, and really, what do you, how, what do you put, uh, what do you put on the cover of a book that really screams robbery, you know, without making it look like a crime book, you know? So I think, the fact that these kids are incredibly daring, the fact that the guy has a, a, a very vicious guard dog, you put the dog on the cover. And when that became a bestseller, the law of if it ain't broke, don't fix it meant that that dog was on the cover of every swindle book. And then going forward, you know, when Slacker came along, the beaver was on the cover and Unplugged has the lizard on the cover. And, and you know, uh, un, well, Ungifted, it's a robot. But the robot sort of serves as, as class pet in in the ungifted books, um, so so I think maybe we're 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 drawn to you know we're drawn to sort of think that way because the the uh, the animals are sort of so, so significant on the the cover of my books, but um, but yeah I think it's maybe it's because um, maybe it's because I didn't have pets growing up and I'm really fascinated by the the characteristics of pets that are that are very very human and as they make sense of the adult world kind of kind of around them um i probably go a little bit too far in you, you know sort of guessing what they what they know you know but um but it, it it's just it's just fascinating to me and i think it's a lot of fun to read I'm curious about books 99 and 100. Are they in process? Do you have plans already? Do you know what those books will be? Yes, absolutely. So, um, so book 99 is done. Uh, it's going to be called Operation Do-Over. Actually, it will be out by CCIRA. So, because um, it's coming out in, in January. And um, it, it's... Uh, I think it's it's cool. It's my first uh, sort of time travel story, right? It's about a um, a kid who, uh, as a as a high school senior, randomly travels back to his seventh grade year and is given a do over at uh, some of the terrible mistakes he he made as uh, as a as a middle school kid, and uh, given this sort of unique opportunity to go back to himself at a younger age 
and straighten out his life uh, and straighten out a best friend that he lost and certain trouble that he, he got himself into. Uh, but that will be out in January. And then um, book, uh, book 100 is, is in process. I don't want to say too much about it, except that the working title will be The Fort. And is there a big celebration planned or are you looking forward to the book 100 release? You know, I never really thought that book 100 was going to be a big deal, uh, except that everybody else seems to think it's a pretty big deal. So so now I'm kind of now I'm on the book 100 bandwagon um, because uh, every, you know, everybody else has gotten me on the, the, the book 100 bandwagon. So I, I probably would say six months ago, I wasn't that excited about it. Like now I'm really pumped. Well, I, I think you should be pumped. That's a pretty amazing achievement. I don't know that there's a lot of authors you can point to and be like, they have written a hundred books. Like, especially, especially since there's not much chance I'm getting to 200. So, you know, this is, this is going to be the, this is going to be the big milestone. Do you see, so obviously you set 200 outside of your sites. You think yeah, you no can make it to 150? No. <laughs> no I, um, I don't know. You know, I um, also just because because I've, I've done, you know, I've had this experience and, and, you know, a lot of the, the bigger numbers of books kind of came when I was writing series, you, you know? So when I was writing the on the run series, that was like six books came out inside of maybe 18 months, you, you know? Um, so lately I've been writing standalones. When, when you're writing standalones, even if you write two books a year, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, get to the gigantic kind of numbers with, with that, you, you know? Um, so I, I'm not really worrying about the numbers too much. I take it project by project, write what's interesting to me. Um, you know, if I, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I know it seems kind of childish to talk about getting bored, but, but, uh, but getting bored is actually a pretty good motivator for creativity because if you, if you, if you are bored writing, you're, you're going to write boring. So, uh, it, so it is really important to try new things to get yourself to a different place. If, if you feel almost like you're too good at what you do, right. You know, if, if you feel like you, I think whenever I feel like I've really mastered a certain kind of book, that's kind of a warning sign, you, you know, even though obviously you're proud of it and all that, just because you don't want to get complacent. Like, I feel like I've done my my very best writing when I'm a little bit outside my comfort zone, you know, uh, and I hope I sort of have this fear deep down that there is a chance that I could really mess this up and, and not be able to write this book. And whenever uh, whenever I've had an experience in my life where I'm trying something really, really different, it's always, it's always produced something awesome. You, you know, I mean, uh, I'd never written anything serious and, and suddenly I started writing these adventure trilogies and, and it was great. You, you know, uh, 39 clues was totally different for all of us. Right. I mean, you're working on a series, but you didn't write the book that came before it and you won't be writing 
the book that comes after it? You know, how is this going to work? Um, and I think we all sort of exceeded ourselves because we were worried that we weren't going to be able to to do it. Um, and even something like Linked, where, where you're writing about issues like racism and 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 uh, and, and and how people are connected and anti-Semitism, which are not normally topics that that I I deal with directly, kind of head on. Um, you know, it was a chance to sort of make myself do it, try something new, you know, be a little bit worried that maybe this is not going to come off. And I have a, a finished book that's one of the most I, I don't think I've ever been quite so proud of a book as I am of, of Link. So um, so I think, you know, trying to avoid getting bored, writing a little bit outside that comfort zone is something that is going to continue uh, to direct what what my future projects are. I like that. I like to tell my students that there's some power in discomfort. And I think yeah, you yeah. have embraced the power of discomfort. Um, so thinking, you know, we've asked you a lot about your work, but I'm wondering who are some authors, especially when you were a kid and getting into writing, who are some authors that you loved, that inspired you, that have helped maybe form the writer you've become? Well, I think... The, the, the old school middle grade writers were, were super important to me. You know, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Judy Bloom and, and Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. And, and interestingly enough, you know, um, I don't really relate to, relate to that book on the surface that much at all, right? I'm an only child. I never had a sibling, <laughs> you know. Uh, I did not live in Manhattan, right? I was a, uh, I mean, I remember reading the book as, as a as a fourth grader and thinking why is there an elevator in the middle of their house you know and, and why is there a guy like actually operating this elevator I, re I really could not envision what a new york city apartment building with an elevator operator w could look like you know i somehow completely flubbed that in my brain and yet still loved the book so i think there is something unique to well something universal i'm sorry not unique uh to being a kid um that i think comes out when you when you write about when, when you're reading about um when, when you're reading about kids who are just real real kids i mentioned loving the great brain that series took place in the 1890s you know i have absolutely no experience in a small town i was always sort of a a guy from a large metro area um I, I think what i loved was the idea that that ordinary kids are capable of coming together and doing something extraordinary and and it didn't really matter whether it was like in a in a sort of a funny sort of hijinks kind of way <laughs> you, you know as a lot of those old mad scientist club and and great brain and and you know henry reed books sort of always turned out or or something or something incredible like uh you, you know like a uh a farley mowat survival book or a um or or even a book like uh or even a book like linked where uh you, you know i mean i think in the end well what it is 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 the you know what what linked is really about is that is that we are capable of doing incredible things when we are motivated 
to to stand up for what we believe in and and to try, you know. Um, but whether it's funny or serious or a combination of the two, just the idea that regular kids are capable of doing extraordinary things. Well, that is an amazing message to end on, Gordon. This was such a pleasure, so fun, not surprising, but it was so great to actually get to talk to you. And I am very excited to see your luncheon session and also to pick up your new book, Linked. And I'm excited about the other book that's coming out in January. So thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And what I'm really, really excited about is, is coming to Colorado in February. Um, we, we've all been home for a long time and, and seeing uh, real audiences, meeting real teachers and, and having that human connection. I, I can't wait. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.